We read from the Holy Scriptures this evening from the Gospel according to Matthew, a portion of chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. We'll read the first 31 verses of this chapter. Our text this evening is found in verses 15 through 23. 15 through 23. This is the account of Pilate placing the multitude before the choice of having Jesus or Barabbas released. Pay special attention to that section, 15 through 23, as I won't reread all of that. We hear the word of God in the gospel according to Matthew chapter 27. When the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? See thou to that. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. And the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, It is not lawful for to put them into the treasury because it is the price of blood. And they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Wherefore that field was called the field of blood unto this day. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of him that was valued, whom they of the children of Israel did value, and gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord appointed me. And Jesus stood before the governor. The governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest. And when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then said Pilate unto him, Hearest thou not how many things they witness against thee? And he answered him to never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. Here begin the words of our text. Now at that feast the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would. And they had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ. For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. When he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas, and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said unto them, Whether of the twain will ye that I release unto you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate saith unto them, 
What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say unto him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why? What evil hath he done? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers, and they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head. And after that they had mocked him, they took the robe off from him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. So far we read from God's infallibly inspired word. I would reread this time only verses 21 and 22. As I said, our text is found here in Matthew 27, 15 through 23. I'll reread 20 and, or rather, 21 and 22. The governor answered and said unto them, Whether of the twain will ye that I release unto you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say unto him, Let him be crucified. Your beloved congregation in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus had been betrayed. The one of the twelve who Christ had called a devil Judas Iscariot had betrayed Christ for 30 pieces of silver following his agony in Gethsemane. Christ had been captured there in the garden. A band had come with swords and staves as if Christ was a dangerous criminal. And ultimately all his disciples had forsaken him and fled. In the wee hours of the night, Christ had been tried by the Sanhedrin. Christ had appeared before Annas for a preliminary examination while the Jewish council assembled in the night hours. Annas had then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest, where our Lord had been convicted and condemned. Next, the Savior had appeared before the Roman governor. Pilate had heard the accusations of the chief priests and the elders, but could find no fault in Christ. 
Pilate attempted to escape the responsibility for deciding this case by sending Jesus to Herod. When he learned that Jesus was a Galilean, it was King Herod who was tetrarch of Galilee, but Christ had been subjected to Herod's cruel and cowardly mockery and had been sent back to Pilate. Then the Son of God had been placed on a par with a common criminal. Pilate was faced with a terrible dilemma. On the one hand, he knew that Christ was righteous, but on the other hand, he feared the Jews. And so Pilate again attempted to evade the issue. He places the people before the choice of freeing Jesus or Barabbas. But beloved, don't overlook the sovereign direction of God in all of these events. It was Christ himself who had forced the Jews into action. He had very unexpectedly dismissed the traitor from the upper room, forcing the chief priests and elders into immediate action. That was precisely contrary to the plans of the Jewish leaders. They had not wanted to take and kill Jesus on the feast day, lest there be an uproar among the people. We read in the previous chapter, verse 5, Clearly all their secret plottings were disrupted by the actions of the Lord Jesus. And the Sanhedrin was forced to bring Christ before the Roman governor. They had been compelled to bring a band of soldiers to capture Jesus, and that made it impossible for them to kill him secretly. In addition, Judea was now under the Roman yoke. And therefore, the Sanhedrin had not the power to carry out their own sentence. When Christ stands before Pilate, he stands before the world power, which must both declare him innocent and sentence him to the cross. But Christ must also be tried by the people. The multitude also must be left without excuse. The deepest intents of the hearts of the people must be exposed. And through the instrumentality of Pilate, the multitude is placed before the bar of God's justice. The multitude also must face the question, what will ye do with Jesus that is called Christ? And it's in this light that we consider our text this evening under the theme, Rejected by the Multitude. We notice, first of all, the shameful nomination. Secondly, the trying question. And finally, the self-condemning answer. No doubt Pilate had been greatly disappointed that Herod hadn't relieved him 
of his uncomfortable position. Pilate knew well that he had power to release Jesus and power to have him punished. We read in verse 14 of this chapter that the governor marveled greatly at Christ, his calm, serene appearance, as well as the content of his testimony must have impressed Pilate. But Pilate was afraid of both the righteous Jesus and he was afraid of the Jews who could jeopardize his relationship with the Roman emperor, Caesar. But God, however, draws the people irresistibly to the palace of the Roman governor, the praetorium, and he uses the clamoring multitude to remind Pilate of a custom of the Passover feast. At the feast of the Passover, it was customary for the governor to release whatever prisoner the people desired. The governor would set free some notorious prisoner that had been condemned to suffer the extreme penalty unto the people. At the same time, Pilate recollects that there is a notable prisoner who had been cast into prison. According to the parallel passage in Mark chapter 15, one named Barabbas, which lay bound with them that had made insurrection with him, who had committed murder in the insurrection. And the idea occurs to Pilate that he can let the multitude solve his problem. He will not ask them broadly and generally who it is that they wish him to release. No, Pilate himself will make a nomination of two. He will set up a duo from which the multitude may choose one. Pilate prepares, so to speak, a ballot, and he gives the people the opportunity to determine by vote whether he should release unto them Jesus or Barabbas. Now let's look at these alternatives proposed here. One name on this nomination is Barabbas. According to verse 16, Barabbas was a notable prisoner. He was clearly a notorious rogue, an infamous rebel. He had instigated a rebellion in Jerusalem against the Roman authorities. And during this insurrection, Barabbas had committed murder, according to Luke 23. That name Barabbas means literally son of a father. Now very possibly that could mean that he was the son of a rabbi, that he came from a good home. He may have consciously and deliberately trampled underfoot God's covenant and law. In any case, clearly, Barabbas had become the offscouring of society, a notorious criminal, a deadly convict. The other name on this nomination is Jesus, which is called 
Christ. Jesus is the righteous one, the totally innocent one. He is the sinless one. He has lived all his life in perfect obedience unto God. Clearly, this Jesus is no criminal, but he has been unjustly accused. Certainly, it's evident that this Jesus has been hated without a cause, as we read in John 15, verse 25. This is Jesus of Nazareth, who the multitude knew. Jesus was no stranger to them. Undoubtedly, many of the people had witnessed some of his miracles. Many of them had heard his teaching and preaching concerning the kingdom of God. Repeatedly, however, they had been disappointed, for Jesus had made it clear that he was no earthly Messiah. His kingdom was not of this world. Nevertheless, only a few days before this, as he had made his royal entry into Jerusalem, no doubt many from this very multitude had shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. This Jesus is the Christ. He is the anointed one. He is the only begotten Son of God, ordained by God and anointed with the Spirit to be our chief prophet, our only high priest, and our eternal king. He claimed and had a right to claim to be the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures, the anointed, the Messiah, the Son of God. Oh, this was truly a shameful nomination. Shameful because it implied that Jesus was a criminal. It's important to note that the very fact that Jesus' name was on this nomination implied that he was himself a notorious prisoner. Those who were released on the Passover feast were not innocent citizens, but infamous outlaws. And therefore that Pilate named Jesus as a nominee meant that Pilate had already condemned Jesus. Further, this was shameful because of the vast contrast between these nominees. In Acts chapter 3, verse 14, we have expressed the stark contrast between Christ and Barabbas. There the apostle Peter asserts at the temple, probably before many of these same people, but ye have denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you. The Holy One and the just has been paired with a murderer. The very Son of God in human flesh allows himself to be placed on a, on a par with a most despicable criminal. 
this nomination places as equals the very Son of God and public enemy number one. Jesus was as widely famous for his having done good works throughout the land as Barabbas was notorious for his works of darkness. And finally, this was shameful because of the humiliation it heaped upon Jesus. He stood there in the full consciousness of being the anointed of God, the faithful servant of Jehovah. He knew that he had done no iniquity, that he had always performed the Father's will. He, more than anyone else, felt keenly the offense of being so reckoned with the malefactors. But voluntarily, Christ so deeply humbles himself that he allows himself to be numbered with the lowest transgressors. Think of it. He could have called for a host of angels to rescue him. By a word, he could have destroyed the whole city in a moment. But he is silent. Christ knew that it was the hour of the trial of the multitude. He perceived that even at this moment, God was sitting upon the judgment seat, and the multitude, the world of the people, stood before the tribunal of the sovereign God. Christ knew that this was the judgment of the multitude. Now, when the large crowd of Jews was gathered together, Pilate made known unto them his nomination. He asked the question, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? Pilate no doubt felt confident that the choice of the multitude would free the righteous Jesus. He knew, according to verse 18, that it was because of the envy and jealousy of the leaders of the Jews that Christ had been delivered. Surely the common people could scarcely fail to release Jesus. To give greater effect to this proposal, Pilate ascended the movable tribunal or judgment seat that was there in front of his palace. Suddenly, however, while Pilate was sitting in his chair of judgment, a messenger appears with an urgent message from Pilate's wife. Pilate's wife was in such distress of mind that she felt constrained to interrupt his judicial affairs. She warns him, have thou nothing to do with that just man, for I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. Now we aren't told the details of what Pilate's wife dreamed, but clearly it was for her an agonizing experience. And this warning must have added to the uneasiness that already tormented Pilate. 
But his question to the multitude had been asked, Christ or Barabbas? Let us focus upon the fact that it is Pilate who has asked this trying question. Pilate represented the sword power of the world. He was called to execute judgment in the name of God. And yet it's clear that Pilate, as is the case with far too many politicians today, Pilate was much more concerned about his own welfare and power than he was about truth and justice. He was motivated only by his own carnal ambition. This question asked by Pilate represented only another of his vain struggles to avoid the ultimate answer to God's question, what will ye do with my Christ who is so plainly righteous? Repeatedly, Pilate was compelled to attest to the innocency of Jesus. And yet repeatedly, he refused to take a stand. Pilate did not want to give an ultimate decisive answer. And so ultimately, under the sovereign direction of God, he places this question before the multitude. And understand, this was a trying question. That is, it put the people on trial. It was trying because it must be answered by the multitude. Bear in mind that the multitude gathered before the praetorium was not a, a tribe of ignorant savages. This wasn't a band of hardened criminals. This multitude was not gathered on the outskirts of this world, far from the center of civilization. This multitude was not gathered in a period of darkness and ignorance. Rather, the whole world, in all its culture and civilization, was present there in that multitude. We have gathered before the praetorium, representatives of the theologians of that day, teachers, those who had supposedly been enlightened by the law and the prophets, the multitude that was gathered in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was, we might say, the center of the world and of history in the year 33 A.D., in the second place, this was a trying question because it placed the multitude before the bar of God's justice. That was important. The people must not be able to say that they were innocent of this miscarriage of justice. The people must not be able to complain that it was their leaders who had rejected Jesus while they themselves had never been, been confronted with the critical question. 
in this question, God was sovereignly trying the world. The world had to be left without excuse. The world must be tried and exposed as evil through the trial, condemnation, and rejection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And further, this was trying because of the ultimate question. This question did not lay before them just a simple option of choosing a man to be set free. This question did not place before the multitude two men who were equals. The multitude faced the ultimate question, what think ye of the Christ? And let us remember that Christ stands here not in all of his power and glory, but helpless and bound, yet, nevertheless, as the Christ, the eternal Son of the living God. The people could not answer in the way of theological contemplation. They couldn't answer as a result of philosophical speculation but rather, they must give answer as a revelation of their own ethical worth, of the intents and imaginations of their own inmost hearts. The question was intended to reveal whether they loved or hated the truth, whether they were good and noble or wicked and corrupt, whether they were children of God or children of their father, the devil. And give answer, they must and will. Now the chief priests and elders had been very busy. While Pilate had been considering that mysterious message from his wife. The leaders of the Jews were quick to take advantage of this opportunity given them to prompt the multitude as to the choice they should make. According to verse 20, they persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. And the instigation of the Jewish leaders was effective. Perhaps they informed the multitude that by choosing Jesus, they would be playing into Pilate's hands. Maybe they reminded the crowd of all the terrible deeds that Pilate had perpetrated against the Jews. Very likely they intimidated those who were first inclined to choose Jesus. But the leaders of the Jews expertly manipulated the multitude into a passionate mob to be directed as they desired. When Pilate turns back to the multitude, he restates the question. Pilate said unto them, Whether of the twain will ye that I release unto you? The Gospels, according to Mark and John, both have it more boldly stated. 
will ye that I release unto you the king of the Jews? The answer of the multitude was, Barabbas. Pilate appears stunned and desperate. It seems as if he's almost willing to think that they have made some sort of mistake. Maybe they misunderstood. He should have simply declared, I will pronounce Jesus innocent and release him. But instead, he weakly asks, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? And the multitude now answers unanimously, Let him be crucified. And Pilate then descends to the level of arguing with the mob. Why? What evil hath he done? Again, Pilate stresses, repeats the truth of the innocency of Christ. But the agitated and wild mob now repeatedly screams, Let him be crucified! Beloved, this answer was self-condemning. Self-condemning because the multitude clearly made known its will. The multitude has no excuse. The fact that they were prompted by the chief priests and elders doesn't take away their responsibility. The fact that they did it through ignorance, as Peter tells us in Acts 3, verse 17, does not render them incompetent. Who could not see the stark contrast between Jesus and Barabbas? Surely they knew that the choice was between one who was perfectly righteous and a notorious criminal. But when faced with the question, what think ye of the Christ? The multitude quite consciously prefers a murderer to Jesus, who is called the Christ. The multitude should have rejected that shameful nomination made by Pilate. But they have unconsciously recognized themselves in this murderer. And hence they choose Barabbas and they reveal their own hatred for God and his Christ. The multitude was forced to reveal its desire for an earthly Messiah who would satisfy their own carnal lusts. In addition, this answer was self-condemning because this truly was the answer of the whole world. Truly, here we see the condemnation of the world. The Lord Jesus had said in John 12, verse 31, Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. 
Understand, when the multitude asked for Barabbas, the whole world was asking for Barabbas. When the multitude cried out, let him be crucified, the whole world cried out, let him be crucified. You see, it was God's sovereign purpose to condemn the world through its own testimony, through its own rejection of the Christ. In giving this answer, the world was exposed in all its corruption, in all its hypocrisy, in all its worthiness of damnation. In giving this answer, the world condemned itself to eternal suffering in the outer darkness of hell. But more, and finally, brethren, this answer was self-condemning because this was our answer. This answer of the multitude is our condemnation. We, beloved, were as it were, gathered there before the praetorium, and we made known our answer to God's question. We have to be also careful that we don't condemn those wicked Jews that hated their Messiah, thinking that our answer would have been the opposite. We, by nature, apart from grace, belong right there, with that profane, scorning, God-reviling multitude that heaped reproach upon Christ. We must confess that we signed, as it were, our own condemnation before the terrible tribunal of God. Think of it. The murderer is preferred above Jesus. The shame of it. The reproach of it. As we've noted already, it was deep and bitter reproach when Pilate placed Jesus on nomination with Barabbas, placing him on one line with Barabbas. But the multitude heaps reproach upon reproach. Not only do they accept Pilate's duo, but by unanimous vote they put Jesus beneath Barabbas. Thereby they express this. This man Jesus is so low so despicable in our eyes that if we are given the choice between him and a murderer, we will emphatically and without hesitation embrace the murderer and receive him into our society, but cast Jesus out. And again, it was not by the scum and riffraff of society that this vote was cast. But truly, Christ came to his own, and his own 
received him not. It was Israel, the church, religious people, the world, as it were, at its best, that heaped reproach upon him. And they did it, in fact, over against the Roman judge, to whom, for the rest, they would not even concede the right to rule and to judge. Our Lord was reproached, placed lower than a murderer by his own, and that too in the presence of and over against a stranger. Oh, how Jesus could rightfully cry out, for thy sake I am reproached. The reproaches of them that reproached thee are fallen upon me. For that multitude represents the power of darkness, while Jesus is the light, always testifying of God. And Barabbas belonged with them and to them. He was principally their choice. And that's the way it always is in the world. And that's the way it is with you and me and with our sinful hearts as we are by nature. Place man, mere natural man, you and me, the whole of mankind before the choice, Barabbas or Jesus, and the answer is always Barabbas. Let Jesus be crucified. It's the way it is. Until sovereign grace changes our will. But beloved, we need not despair because of our self-condemning answer. Ultimately, our almighty God had determined this answer. He had divinely appointed Christ to walk this deep, deep way of suffering all the way to the cross. He had ordained Christ to be the head of the church. He had required that the perfect sacrifice be made for the sin and guilt of all the elect. Don't you see, beloved, this self-condemning answer was necessary for you and for me. It was necessary that our Savior be so horribly rejected. Only through the suffering and death of Christ could we be delivered from the awful bondage of sin. Only through this answer could we, who are by nature enemies of God and his cause, once more be made friends. The very blood that we demanded be shed was the very blood that washed away our sins. Stand in awe at the mystery of Calvary. For he was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. For our sakes he bore this reproach. Despised was he, rejected of men, 
that we might be accepted by God and never be forsaken by Him. And now our Lord Jesus Christ, having been exalted in heavenly glory at the right hand of His Father, is our advocate with the Father. And He works by His Spirit and grace in our hearts so that we no longer seek the things which are below, but we desire that city that has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And we confess and count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Most merciful and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for Thy Word, the Gospel of Christ, His rejection, even by the whole world, including ourselves as we are by nature. But we thank Thee for Thy sovereign purpose, even through this deep way, to save us and all thine own from all our sins. All praise be unto thee. Fill our hearts in this night and in this season of Lent with that joy that we have in Christ. Him crucified, but also risen. We ask it with the remission of our many sins. In Jesus' name, amen.